You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are glad that you're here with us at Calvary. So let me tell you something back uh, about 15 years ago, 2005, I was speaking at an event and uh, then my wife and I decided to take a couple days of vacation and uh, in Southern California and we were driving back to our hotel uh, in Los Angeles and I saw as I was on the highway, I saw the gas light turn on and I thought, okay, no problem. I'll get gas next chance I get. Then my wife fell asleep and I turned on the radio and I just, I have this kind of way about me where I just kind of get lost in my own thoughts and world and I just kind of forget about everything. And so um, then I totally forgot about the gaslight. And then I feel like that kind of chugging kind of sound, the sound that a car makes. I'm no automotive genius, but I know what it feels like when your car is running out of gas. And so I realize that I am running out of gas. So I... I'm going to get off the road. There was an exit coming up, so I get all the way to the right. I get off of the exit, and because Southern California is built around all these hills, uh, you kind of go down a pretty steep, uh, you know, the road kind of gets a little steep going down when you get off the exit, which is great for me because I need to pick up some speed. So there's a light at the bottom of this hill, and I'm like, God, I need to turn green, turn green. The light turns green. I make a left-hand turn, and I'm still cruising just on momentum. And then the reason I had gotten off is because I saw that there was a gas station that was, that was right there. So I get off, I make the left-hand turn, and I've got to make the right-hand turn uh, on the next street to get to the gas station. But I got a pretty good amount of momentum. So I go, I make the turn, and then I realize that the uh, gas station is at the top of a hill. And it was just like, Aah. And uh, by the way, throughout this whole thing, my wife is still asleep. Uh, it turns out she was pregnant. We didn't know that, but she was pregnant at the time. And so and I don't know how you've ever, I don't know if you've ever had to like wake someone up, be like, you know, as you guys are driving, like, uh, hey, sweetie, um, so I hope you're feeling good. FYI, we ran out of gas and I need you to um, slide into the driver's seat because I'm going to get out and push the car, which is almost verbatim what I said. And so anyway, so I get out, she wakes up, gets into the driver's seat. I get out and I start pushing this car up a hill to where the gas station is. And then, and so we're, I'm pushing the car out in front or right past this Honda dealership. And man, these two guys come out of the, bu- well, they didn't come out of the bushes. That sounds like stalkerish. Uh, they jump over the, bu- yeah, that sounds way better. They jump over the bushes and th- they um, help me. They're like, come on, let's do this. And they help me push the car to the station. To this day, I still believe those two men were angels and they had the perfect cover story because no one would expect anyone associated with God to be at a car dealership. So anyway, um, and if you've ever been to one, you know. So now, and, now the, the, the point is, right, that there is, we, we, we recognize that cars uh, can't run without fuel indefinitely, and even with fuel, that cars take maintenance to run well. And listen, the same thing is true for people. There have to be times of rest and refueling to be healthy. And, but, and while we understand that intellectually, if we're honest, a lot of times we don't practice that culturally. I don't know if you know this, but the American worker is the most tired, worn out person on the planet. We vacation less 
than anyone who, uh, who works in any other country. We work more per week than any other country. And here's what the results are. Here's our report card. The workers' comp, that is people getting hurt on the job, uh, claims have tripled in the last 20 years. Most fatal heart attacks happen at, on Monday at 9 a.m. That's why every Monday at 10, I'm like, well, made it through. You know, I figure if it's going to happen, it's going to happen Monday at 9. And if it doesn't, it's like I got another week. And so now, and so I want you, I want to think about this before we get into our text. I, I want to kind of uh, approach this at, from a 35,000 foot view before we really zero uh, drill down. God, when, when we look at the, like the Ten Commandments, for example, and talking about the importance of rest, God puts rest in the top ten. But you know what's interesting to me is that God devotes four verses in the Ten Commandments on the importance of rest, explaining it why, and yet other commands get not four verses, they get four words. Like, you shall not murder. Four words. And you would think that would need a little more explanation. Um, because if I were writing this, I would, I, you know, it'd be like, you shall not murder, even if the guy is super annoying, <laughs> right? Even if he bothers you, you know, don't, don't, don't murder him, you know, or you shall not steal four words, right? If we were writing the Bible, we'd have all these clauses like you shall not steal unless you're staying at a nice hotel and you really like the towels and then God shall look at the way. And you shall be like the Robin Hood of linens who steals terry cloth from the rich to give to the poor. Right? We would have these, these clauses. And, and instead, but when it comes to Sabbath, that is taking times of rest, God gives not four words. He gives 98 words to talk about the idea of rest. And I don't know if you've thought about that. And I, I think most of us probably haven't, that God puts rest on the same level as being faithful to your spouse. He puts rest on the same level as not worshiping idols. He puts rest on, on the same uh, level as uh, not coveting what, what someone else has. And, so, and, and there's a reason for this. is because if we think that Sabbath or rest is just about like, well, you got to take a day off. We're really missing it. That's outer rest. That's, that's us, uh, you know, what it looks like. But there's something very deep that happens when we rest. The Sabbath is all about identity. It's a reminder, when Sabbath was instituted, it was a reminder to the children of Israel that they weren't just created to work. They had been slaves in Egypt, and they worked every day, all day, any day. And then they were freed. And God says in Deuteronomy chapter 5, he says that I freed you, I bore you on eagle's wings, and I brought you to myself that you might be my own special people. And every day they had this reminder that they had a day off, this regular uh, Sabbath every week to, to remind them that they were loved by God, that they had been rescued by God, that they had been redeemed by God, and that they could find their identity in the God who loved and saved them. Then Jesus comes on the scene because the Sabbath, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes, the Sabbath had become such a complicated thing. Jesus comes on the scene and he affirms every one of the Ten Commandments, deepens their meaning and importance, except the Sabbath. The Sabbath, he talks about in a totally different way than the religious leaders of his time. The early church didn't command that, that Gentile believers honor the Sabbath like Jewish believers did. And here's why. Because it wasn't just about the day off. That the Sabbath was about 
redemption, that Jesus was their redemption, that Jesus was their Sabbath rest, Jesus was their identity. And that the promise was way more than just a day off. That our worth and value could be found in the person of Jesus and we could rest in him, not just from sundown on Friday night to sundown on Saturday night. Instead, it could be every day. Now, here's why I tell you all of that. We started a series uh, a few weeks ago that we're calling Better. And the reason why we call it Better is because the writer of Hebrews, which is the most theologically dense book in the New Testament, is making an argument that Jesus is better than anything else. And that's why we say it's Jesus over everything. Hebrews um, was written to a group of Jewish Christians who were living in Rome, going through a very difficult season, going through persecution, and they're asking a question. And once again, if you don't uh, understand the question that they're asking, it's hard to understand the book, which is the answer. And that is, if God loves me, why is life so hard? And so the answer to that question is this very eloquent and theologically dense letter that serves as an encouragement for them to do the one thing that will help when you're going through a season of difficulty, and that is to fix your eyes on Jesus. Because the challenge that we face when we are in a difficult season is to either drift from our faith or to stop believing that God has a plan for us in the midst of our difficulty. And that's why throughout the book of Hebrews, these, there are these six warnings. And we looked at the first two. Today, we'll look at the third one. And that's what these guys were, were struggling with. And they're thinking, man, maybe it's just better if I kind of go back to my old life. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is answering. And he's like, no, 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 you got to understand this, that Jesus is better. He opens the book talking about the prophets of old. Jesus is better than the prophets of old. Jesus is better than the angels who are revered in Jewish culture. He talks about that. He talks about, in our last message, we talked about how Jesus is even greater than, than Moses, who was the most revered person in Jewish history. And now he's going to talk about how Jesus is even greater than the Sabbath. Now, the thing that you have to understand is that if you were with us for the prophecy series that we did, I guess probably about a month, month and a half ago, is that the Sabbath is such a special thing in Jewish culture. And in fact, because the Jews did not have a homeland for 1900 years before they went back into their land on May 14th of 1948, but they did not have a homeland for 1900 years. And it's like, well, how did they maintain their national identity? And there's this saying that uh, if you talk to uh, Jews who are living today, they'll tell you this, that the Jews kept the Sabbath and the Sabbath kept the Jews. And so, but in the person of Jesus, we experience everything that the Sabbath was supposed to remind us of, that we have rest, that we have worth, that we have value, and that we are loved, not one day a week, but every day of our lives. And it's not based on what we do. So if you are here today and you are tired, let me tell you something, you're in the right place. If you're here today and you find yourself burnt out, you're in the right place. If you're here and you're like, man, I'm working so hard to prove myself. Listen, God wants to set you free of that today and know that you have value and worth, not based on what you do, but based on who you are. And once again, it's not just an outer rest. And because a lot of times, like, yeah, I just need a vacation. If a vacation was all that it was going to take, we would have taken it already. There's something so much deeper that God wants to do, and that's what we're going to discuss in our text today. So if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to open with me to Hebrews chapter 4, or grab the outline, or look on the screen, or look on the app. Just don't close your eyes, and you'll see it. And so we start, this is warning number 3 in chapter 4. He says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to uh, have come short of it. 
For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he spoke in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. If you pause there and give me your attention, there's three things that I want to talk about and this gift of God's rest that he wants to give to us. And here's the first thing, is that God's rest is satisfaction in life. Now, part of what makes Hebrews a difficult book, uh, not just in teaching, but in, in reading, is... It's so theologically dense. The writer is expecting you to be somewhat of an expert in the Old Testament. And if you're not, that's okay. We're going to dish it out as we go. But part of the reason why this particular chapter is difficult is because every time the writer uses the word rest, he's talking about something different. And now he starts talking about rest in the first couple of verses, and he's borrowing from what he said in chapter three, which is that rest was entering the promised land. There's no more wandering in the desert, your home. And, and we've all experienced that kind of rest where maybe you're out of town. It doesn't matter. You could be staying in the nicest hotel that could be found. And yet when you get home, there's just this feeling that can, that happens nowhere else, right? No matter how nice a place you're staying, when you're home, there is a certain rest that comes just because, Hey, this is, this is, this is my place, right? But knowing this is a Jewish audience, he says, well, home, then home is the promised land. And they're, and they're thinking, but then Psalm 95 talks about, about that moment that they didn't go into the land because they didn't believe. They, they could have experienced rest, but they didn't. But then all those years later, the psalmist is writing about rest. And he's saying, but there still was a rest. And so then they're thinking, well, maybe the rest was the original rest. Maybe they're talking about the Sabbath. And so what the writer does is that he pulls all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and talks about the creation of the world and how God then created everything and then God stopped creating. He rested. Now, this begs the question, if God doesn't get tired, why did he rest on the seventh day? Now, there's a couple of reasons for that. First, because it models rest for us, that we need a rhythm of work and rest in our lives but also because rest refers to satisfaction. God was satisfied with the work that he had done. And it's interesting to note that the satisfaction came after the work. And this is the problem that I think so many of us have is that we're never satisfied because we never stop. And, and once again, we can kind of see this in other things before we see it in ourselves. So years ago, when I had started college, I, I had this Chevy Cavalier, this blue Chevy Cavalier that I, uh, that I drove. Uh, someday I'll tell you the whole story about it, but it, the, the car became infested with cockroaches, and um, it was really a gnarly situation. And um, your alarm's going off, by the way. Um, so um, my, that's not my timer. I'm not done. This FYI. I got a bunch of time left. So, <laughs> so but anyway, I called this car... Uh, a roach training center. The reason is because every time I'd get out of class late at night and I walked up to the car, I would see these roaches doing laps on my steering wheel. And so I know it was, it was a tough, it was a tough thing. So eventually what I did was I bought six raid bombs. If you remember those aerosol bombs that they used to have, I put six raid bombs. I mean, nothing could live. Even human life couldn't contain, couldn't, couldn't live in that kind of environment after that. Well, anyway, the other thing about the car 
is that it only would start if you prayed. And it didn't matter. Like, I remember I'd be running late. I would jump in my car and turn it. Nothing. And then I would get out of the car, and I would lay my hands on the car. I'm like, Lord, you know I'm running late. I need this car to start, please, in Jesus' name. And I'd get in, and the thing would start up. I'm telling you, a terrible car, great prayer life. So that's what was happening with me. So anyway, one day, I'm driving to school, uh, and I see this white smoke coming from the car in front of me. And I am like, people need to stop polluting the air and take care of their stuff. And I'm, I'm so, and I'm, you know, I'm judging the guy in front of me hard. Thankfully, I'm going to a Bible college so I can learn about God's grace. But I was judging that guy hard. And anyway, the light turns green. I hit the gas and realized it was my car that has, was dying. And the smoke was coming from me. I mean, it's all this white smoke. It's like we were electing a new pope. And, uh, wow, I'm really surprised. Wow, that's a deep cut. I'm glad you guys got that. Well done. I'm very impressed. 10 o'clock, like four people got that, and, uh, which I, and I commended the four. It was good. Anyway, well done. That's good. Catholic deep cuts coming to you. So anyway, so, but here's the thing about the car is that my check engine light had been on for months. In fact, I had spoken to a mechanic about how do I deactivate a fuse? I don't want this light to be on anymore. And I never even occurred to me, like, maybe the light is on for a reason. And, uh, and, and it's like this whole time, I never figured out that the car was trying to talk to me. Now, the problem that we have is that we don't feel satisfaction because God stopped the work and then was satisfied with the work. We never stop. And so that's why a lot of times we don't feel satisfied. And then things break down. And then the things that matter most to us begin to break. And so... That's why there has to be a rhythm of work and rest so that you realize, so that we realize we weren't created just to work. That you are loved, listen, not because of what you do. That you are loved because of who you are. And listen, and are there people that will only care about you because of what you do? Yes, but you can't live your life for those people. You live your life for the God who loves you regardless of what you do. Even when you were far from him, he still loved you. And the people that love you, they love you for who you are, not because of what you do. And the point is this, you know, when Jesus invites us to come to him, you'll see it up on the screen in, in Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary, who are labor and are heavy laden, you are exhausted. He says, and I will give you rest. Listen, isn't it amazing that Jesus didn't say, come to me and I will fill your schedule, right? He doesn't say that. He says, come to me and I'm going to give you the one thing that seems to elude you. The one thing that will cause you to have this great satisfaction, I'm going to give you rest. Well, he goes on in verse 6 and continues the conversation. Here's what he says. He says, since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again, he designates a certain day, saying in, in David, the writer of the psalm, today, after such a long time, it has been said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There, there, there remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention. Second thing I want to tell you about God's rest is not just satisfaction in life, but God's rest is understanding my value. God invites us to rest because he loves us for who we are. And here's why the children of Israel didn't 
enter into that rest. And why, and by the way, it wasn't just their rest because it, the rest that he's talking about isn't the rest at creation. That's one form of rest that he's using. It wasn't the rest when the Sabbath was giving. That was the second rest that he uses. It wasn't even the rest when they went into the promised land, which is the third type of rest that he uses. But then he says, there remains a rest for the people of God. It's a rest that's found in us coming to know Jesus. And that's why in verse two, it says, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. That is the good news that you could be, you could have rest. The rest of God was available to you, but they didn't believe it. Why? And here's what it says in verse two, because it wasn't mixed with faith. That is that they heard the words, but they didn't believe it. They heard the words, but it didn't ignite a faith in them. And so they just left it alone. They just didn't believe. Now, let me explain that. Uh, I'm not much of a baker, but I have made chocolate chip cookies in my life. Chocolate chip cookies, as you know, involve six ingredients. It involves butter, sugar, eggs, flour, baking soda, and chocolate chips. Have you ever tried any of those things separately? Gross, right? Even the chocolate chips don't taste right. One time I was making chocolate chip cookies from scratch. One of my kids comes over and says, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm making chocolate chip cookies. Like, oh, let me try. And they got a mouth full of baking soda. And they're like, you are horrible at making cookies. And I'm like, no, they're not mixed. What, they're, they're, none of it's going to taste good. Now, I don't even bother anymore. I just buy the ones that are already made. They're already, and you just, gotta, you just put them in the oven for 10 minutes. And my kids think I'm some kind of baking wizard. It's like, you have no idea. This has way more to do with the Keebler elves than it has to do with me. But anyway, and here's why. Because it's already mixed together. And so when we mix faith with the reality and the promise of God's rest, here's what I can trust, that God won't burn me out. Because the work that God is doing in me and the work that God wants to do through me uh, is not going to kill the work that he's doing on me. And that's why the offer is in the present tense. It says, today, if you will hear his voice. Not today, if you hear his voice, like some can hear it and some can't. If you will hear his voice. Now, you, you and I know this, that there is sometimes a willful decision on our part to hear something or not. In fact, if you have kids, you know this absolutely to be true, that kids sometimes will hear you, and then other kids miraculously will not hear what they don't want to hear. I, I vividly remember my daughter Mia, she was about three years old, we had just eaten dinner, and she, was, she had just walked away and was headed to her room. And she's walking down the hallway, and I say, Mia, you didn't, uh, you got to help us clean up after dinner. And she's like, just walking along to her room. And like, like she didn't even hear me. And then I turned to my wife and I, and I whisper and I said, I wonder if she would have heard me if I talked about M&Ms. And she turns around and goes, did somebody say M&Ms? Right? And that's, and this is exactly what happens. It's not just today if you, you'll hear his voice. Today, if you will. That is that we have an opportunity, and this is where the offer to enter his rest is found. It's mixed with faith, that you have to trust and believe that your worth as a person, your value as a person, that you are loved as a person, it isn't tied with what you do. That you are a person who is loved by God because of who you are. And when you rest, you are deriving your value based on who God says you are rather than what people think of you. In the book of Romans, Paul writes this. He says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you realize that? That it wasn't that Jesus died for us and loved us because we were doing a whole bunch of good stuff for him. And that while we were running from God, 
We were not, not, you know, it wasn't that we were trying to serve God. We were trying to not even know God running in the other direction, that we were loved by him from then. What that means is, is that serving God doesn't make God love you more. And the offer of God's rest proves that. And here's the cool thing is that when you realize that you are loved by God, no matter what you do, if you really and truly understand that, you can rest in that. And then you know what it's going to want to do? It's going to prompt you to do something. It's going to prompt you to serve in, in some capacity. It's going to prompt you to talk about uh, the, the God that loves you. And, but once again, you're never doing that. And you're always going to find yourself on the hamster wheel of life. If you're like, I'm going to do this so that God will love me. I'm going to do this so that God will forgive me. It doesn't work that way. When you, when you start from the place that I am loved and valued by God, then the, the service, whatever it is that we do for God, listen, it becomes a joy. And here's how, well, man, how do I know which I'm doing? That's what he says in verse 11. Look at what he says. He says, therefore, or let us therefore be diligent. Now, that word diligent is a Greek word, and uh, there's a little pun here. That word diligent means to labor to the point of exhaustion. So there's kind of this pun that the writer says. He says, therefore, let us be diligent, labor to the point of exhaustion to enter that rest. So the whole idea is work as hard as you can to rest, which is kind of a pun, but I guess it's not really funny unless you speak Greek. All right. So let us be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Okay, last thing, lot here. Uh, but if you're a note taker, is that God's gift, God's rest is a gift to us. Now, the idea of rest is baked into Jewish culture. Every week, there's this reminder that we are loved by God regardless of what we produce. But then the question becomes, if every week we have to rest. So in the Jewish mind, it's like every week we're going to Sabbath from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. We're going to take 24 hours and rest. Well, someone's going to ask the question, what constitutes work? And so now, uh, you've got to understand that in, in Jewish life, there are three, I mean, I can't say books because it's, they're so big, but three works, all right? There is the Old Testament, in particular the Torah, the first five books of Moses. There is a book that is called the Mishnah. Now, the Mishnah is a whole bunch of other laws. So it's, it's called the Oral Law, and so it was passed down. Um, so the Old Testament was the written word. The Mishnah was the, the oral traditions that were given. And then there was another book that was called the Talmud. And the Talmud were all the interpretations of the rabbis on how do you keep what's written in the Mishnah, which is derived from what you keep in uh, the Talmud. So if you can imagine, and this is, how, this is what happens when lawyers get involved in anything, um, but the, God gives a command, and they're like, you've got to rest. And they're like, well, what constitutes rest? And so the, the, the Mishnah, the oral law, has 24 chapters on what involves rest. And so, now here's how that works. How that works is, is they say, uh, the, Mishnah sa or the, uh, the Mishnah says, in, in these 24 chapters, there are 39 activities you cannot engage in on the Sabbath. Now, there's a whole bunch of things. Um, one of them is um, you, can't, uh, you can't look at yourself in the mirror. 
because if you look at yourself in the mirror, you might see a gray hair and want to pluck it out, and that would constitute work, so don't even look in the mirror on the Sabbath. Um, another would be, and, and in this case, um, you can't lift anything heavy on the Sabbath. That's what the, the, the oral law, the Mishnah says, don't lift anything heavy. But then the question becomes, what constitutes something that's heavy? This, once again, this is, these are lawyer questions. And so then uh, they say, well, so now the, you look at the Talmud, and the Talmud is all the interpretations of the rabbis, and this is what they came down to. Anything that weighs more than two figs. So if you've, you know, ordered, you know, buy a thing of fig newtons at Publix, and any, that, whatever that weighs, two fig newtons, that's how much you can lift. Anything more, and you are bearing a burden, which you're not allowed to do on uh, the Sabbath. And so uh, the, the other thing was, is that how far can you walk? Well, you can walk as far as till you start breaking a sweat. Well, what happened? Two rabbis got together, one tied a rope to the other and said, start walking until you sweat. And so the guy walked about three quarters of a mile till the first beat of sweat. He goes, so back it up one step. And that's how far you can walk, which is three, it's about three quarters of a mile. That's why if you read in the book of Acts where it says it was about a Sabbath day's journey uh, to go somewhere, that's what that means, about three quarters of a mile. And so now this is, this is the challenge, is that they made the idea of rest so complicated. They made the idea of rest something that was completely in, in your outer world, that they forgot about what was supposed to happen in your inner world. I, have, I spoke at a church a few years ago in Brooklyn, great church, and uh, the pastor was driving me to the airport when I was coming back home, and he was telling me about this really nice Orthodox Jewish family that lives next door to him. Now, if you're not aware, outside of Israel, the largest Jewish population in the world is in Brooklyn, New York, uh, out, outside of Israel. So anyway, so he's telling me about this really awesome uh, Orthodox Jewish family that lives next door to him, but because they are Orthodox Jews, they have a stove that turns on uh, by itself and turns off by itself on the Sabbath because the pushing of buttons is a Sabbath violation because it's, it's bearing a burden or you're causing something to ignite because you can't ignite a fire on the Sabbath and pushing the button for the stove to come on is igniting a fire. So anyway, if, for those keeping score at home. And so now, well, one Saturday morning, this pastor wakes up to banging on his door and someone is yelling and banging on his door. He open, the, the, my friend, uh, the pastor opens up and it's the dad of the Orthodox Jewish family. And he's like, what's up? And he goes, Pastor, I need you to come inside and turn off my stove because it wouldn't turn off by itself. And so he goes into the guy's house. He turns off the stove. And, you know, he's walking, him out, the, walking the pastor out. And he said, hey, thanks so much for helping me. I, I just, I didn't want to break the Sabbath. And he's like, so you, you ran to my house. And you started banging on my door. And you rang the bell. How is that not a Sabbath violation? And yet turning the stove off is a Sabbath violation. And the guy's like, look, man, I don't make the rules. I just follow them. And uh, so <laughs> now, once again, the point. Sabbath was about resting and through all of their laws. And it wasn't just an outer rest. It was an inner rest. And they had turned the outer rest into such an affair that they missed the blessing that the, that the Sabbath was supposed to be. They had turned this thing into a day that, to know that you have been redeemed, you have been saved from slavery, you've been, that you, have, you are loved and valued. And they turned that into a show as to how, look at how good I am. And listen, my friends, we do this too. 
We, we receive God's grace as a gift. And then when people say, man, you're blessed. And then we start talking about all the good stuff that we've done to cause God. That's why God loves me so much and blesses me so much. Somehow we take this amazing grace of God and now turn it into an exercise in how we deserve it. And listen, it's, it's exhausting. That's why verse 12 is so important. It's a famous passage about the Bible. and We talk about the power of the Bible. But a lot of times we don't understand it in its context. And let me read it, and then I'll explain it in its context. And he says, For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The idea is this. God's word is like a double-edged sword that's taken from a Roman soldier's armor. That it is a 6 to 12-inch dagger. And when he says that it can cut through, it can divide between soul and spirit, between joints and marrow, the thoughts and intents of the heart. That word that it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, that is a Greek word, kritikos. It's where we get our English word uh, critical or critique. And it's saying that God's word has the ability to divide between what we do and the reason why we do it. And that there's no hiding. That's why verse 13 says, that there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That, that verse is so powerful. I'll try to unpack it quickly. When he says that everything is naked and open, it's a reference back to Genesis chapter 2, because once again, just about everything in Hebrews is a reference back to an Old Testament passage. But when he says that everything is naked and open, he's talking about our first parents. When, when Adam and his wife... They were, they, they were married, and then it says this. It says, when God brings the woman to the man, it says that they were both, that the man and his wife were naked and not ashamed, right? That there was this complete rest in who they are, total satisfaction, that they didn't have to cover up or fake anything. They were comfortable with who God had created them to be, and they saw themselves the way God saw them, that they were good, and then sin enters the world, and the first thing that enters is shame. And that's when the cover-up started. And they were no longer at rest with the God who loved them and who God created them to be. And this is why so many of us, listen, we're so pushed and we're so driven, and we can't slow down because we don't think people will love us for us. And the truth is, some people won't. And if that's true, why are we running as fast as we can on this hamster wheel for the approval of people who don't really care for us. That's why the idea of becoming a Christian, and, and it's, uh, it's a little too often spoken in church where we say, oh, I became a Christian because I want to be a better person. We're missing the point. Jesus didn't die to make bad people good. Jesus died to make dead people alive. And until you realize that, that God isn't trying to make you a good worker, He's trying to, he's seeking to transform where you derive your value and worth from. Until we recognize that, we're not going to get it. That he doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. And that's why this last, last section is so important. He says that everything is naked and open before him to whom we must give an account. And this is a very difficult word to translate, that word open. Uh, the Greek word is... The, is, is um, Trachelizo. It's where we get our word trachea. And it's the idea of this. So one translate, like the New King James that I teach out of 
says that it is open. Another translation says laid bare. And these are all kind of fall short. The idea is it, the word trechelizo means that you pull the neck back to expose, uh, you pull the head back to expose the neck. That's why it's exposing the trachea for the purpose of slitting its throat for sacrifice. And that's why it was a reminder of, te of temple services and a reminder that sin costs something and that paying for sin exacts a price. And that's why he's saying that nothing is hidden. Everything is naked. Everything is exposed. Why? Because it was a reminder to us that sin costs something. You see, it's, the great news is that when they crucified Jesus, they stripped him of his clothes. Why? So that we could be clothed in God's righteousness. It, he was the one who was restless on the cross, even shouting, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we could now experience the rest for the people of God that he offers. See, this is why communion is such a powerful reminder that Jesus died for us before we were trying to be good. The rabbis teach that God commanded the Passover to be celebrated with unleavened bread, that there was a reason for that. Beyond just, well, they didn't have time for the bread to rise, that instead it was unleavened because leaven puffs up. It makes us seem like we're something more than we are. And that unleavened bread is just us. There's nothing trying to puff it up or make ourselves to be something that we aren't. It was an invitation to come to God and be authentic, to own our mistakes, to come to him honestly, because he sees through our disguises anyway. Everything is naked. Everything is open. And when you do, when we do, we will find the one thing that we've been searching for that has eluded us find rest. So I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward and hand out the communion elements. And when they do, I'm going to ask you to hold on to them. We're going to partake of communion together. But until then, I'm going to invite Pastor George to lead us. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.